Father, thank you. You, um, you're a God who loves to surprise your people. And you're a God who loves to do things in ways that um, are not according to our plans. And so we want to thank you in advance for the ways in which you have manifested yourself in us, the things that you're doing with us. And, uh, and we want to thank you in advance for the ways in which you're going to do that in the future, both in a place, but more significantly in us and then through us. So it feels like we're, as two people have said to me in the last 24 hours, it feels like we're, there's like a new beginning. And, and, it, and that feels really true. And, and you love new beginnings and you love to draw on all that has taken to make that new beginning possible. And so right now we want to celebrate the way that you've been faithful and ask for you to continue to supply, to provide, and to move us into the future that you have prepared for us as your people whom you love, who you purchased through your son. And it's his name that we praise this morning. Christ, our Savior. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so my question this morning is, um, what is the best church building? I mean, what's the, what's the ultimate, all-time, ever church building that's ever been made, you've ever been a part of? You have it in your mind? Is it here? <clears throat> you need an imagination. So maybe if you're, if you're like a deep scholar, maybe you're thinking, you know, I think, I think of the, um, the outdoor stone altar that, that Abraham made or, the, or that Isaac built after he, he awoke after his dream of the ascending and descending angels and, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Maybe that, that's where you're like, that was, that's the pure, pure place where pure church building in the great outdoors. So, or maybe you're, you naturally go to the tabernacle. This is... This is the, the, the beautiful, ornate, mobile tent of meeting for the people of God. And we shared, we talked a little bit about what some of that looked like last week in the tabernacle. Or maybe you're a little bit more permanent and you're thinking of the temple, the temple that Solomon built that was so filled with splendor that they had to tell people to stop bringing stuff in order to actually make it as beautiful and as, and as incredible as, as it was. And it, and it stood on the hill uh, in Jerusalem and overlooked the city of David and, and all peoples came there. Or maybe you're thinking about, you're more of a, like a, a reconstructionist. Um, and so you're thinking more of like the rebuilt temple, you know, under, under, um, under post-exile when they came back and they like, they made something out of a remnant, just they worked their way into this temple that wasn't as great as Solomon's, but, but man, they earned it. I mean, it was the faithful that pulled that off. Or maybe you're thinking of Herod's temple, the one that, this is the, it's gotta be the best one. This is the one where Jesus was standing in the courts of it and, and the apostles would preach in those courts. That, that's, maybe that's the one that you're thinking, I wanted to be in that one. That's where real worship would happen, real significance. Or maybe um, you're thinking the, the synagogue, like when Jesus walks in and he pulls the scroll and, and the word of God is read regularly and consistently. People of God are gathered and trying to preserve the beauty and the power of the history of the Old Testament as they're scattered across Asia and Europe. Maybe that's, that's a picture of like, that's, that's where real, real building, real church would, would be happening. Or, or maybe it's the organic church in Acts, you know, the house to house, the, the house church movement that's still going on and hopefully will never end in, in any country. And, and of course, some of it's still manifesting itself in hidden ways in China and especially like in places like Iran. Like that's, well, that's... That's the church. That's the best church building. It's the truest thing. Or maybe, um, maybe you've gotten to go to, to see your world traveler, and you've gotten to go see the cathedrals of Europe, the Notre Dame in, in, in Paris. I have to use my French if I'm going to, right? Um, and, uh, or, or maybe it's St. Peter's Cathedral, in, in, or, you know, Basilica in, in, in Rome. Um, and 
something that's designed, if you've been in there, something that's designed to, to take your eyes up, whether you like it or not. And, and if you're willing, like it'll take your spirit and your soul up towards God. Or maybe um, you're, um, you've traveled in a different direction. You've stood in, in dirt huts that only have a thatch roof and the people of God in third world countries are without shoes on, worshiping God and experiencing demonstrations of power that would, that would rock our world. Maybe it's like, man, that's, that's the church building. Or maybe it's uh, the nostalgia of, of, the, of the parishes of Great Britain and, and early America where, where, where the revivals began and began to, to sweep across countries and nations and change the entire surface of a group where, where, the, where the church itself, the parish, was, was really the center, center of city life where, where everything bustled in and out of. Or maybe, maybe it's the, the multi-campus um, video feed church, the mega church that is, that is able to, to rally resources and, and to be able to reach a hugely broad audience of people. Or maybe it's um, the humble and temporary locations, the civic centers, like the one I grew up in over in France where we planted our church, or, or the schools like we're in right now. There's a purity there. There's a simplicity there. Or maybe the best church that's ever been built is about to get remodeled at 1011 Mansell Road. Can I get an amen? <laughs> well, I don't know what you think. Um, Art and I got to have like an hour, a 45-minute conversation about this uh, as we were kind of running through history and all the meanings and implications of, of place. And, um, but one of the things that struck me is that the answer is, is yes. I would argue that the best place, the best place, regardless of time or, or size or cost or location, is the place where the presence of God and the people of God are gathered for the glory of God and the blessing of the world. That's the best place. Where the people of God are gathered in the presence of God for the glory of God and the blessing of the world. So the question then is begged, does place matter at all? And maybe next to that is the question, does God care about place? I'm going to just give you a litany of what, like 12 different locations. Does God care at all? Does, does he care about place? Does he care about space in any way, shape, or form? Well, my answer, according to the scriptures, I would say is yes. And so I will be my own devil's advocate and say, how do we know? How do we know that God cares about places and spaces. And then secondly, we'll ask the question, if God does care about places and spaces, what are they for? What are these particular places and spaces for? So how do we know that God cares about places and spaces? Well, the first argument comes from creation. The doctrine of creation is, is fundamental in building a theology of place and of the significance of place. Now, first, the doctrine of creation, it, one of the things it does is it resists the urge, the, the pull of, of dualism that would minimize the importance of the physical realm. It would say only the spiritual matters. You know, the church is the people of God. It doesn't worry about place. It's just the people of God. But, but dualism is not actually the movement of God. That's not how biblical theology of creation points. God, the biblical theology of creation says that God got his fingers in the dirt and he made something physical. And after having made it, he said... It is good. And then he says it is good. And he says it is good. And then he says it is very good. So it's not just the spiritual. It has to be the physical. So, that, so the theology of creation pushes up 
against that and says, no, God cares about places. And secondly, the doctrine of creation gives us a clear mandate of responsibility to care for the creation, to, to be stewards of, to step into, to be a part of God's redemptive work in place, in space. That's why he gave Adam and Eve the responsibility to, to engage the world, to, to tend the garden. But maybe the most significant is that we are embodied creatures, that we've been made in the image of God, and that we have to recognize that our sense of identity, our very being is deeply intertwined with place. One author says, and this is kind of in paradox too, he says, the heart of God's judgment on Adam and Eve and eventually on Cain is, listen, displacement. The expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden was painful, vomited out of the land as they were. The curse of Cain for killing his brother was permanent displacement. It was, it was homelessness. It was, it was placelessness. Hell is placelessness. It's, it's, it's homelessness. It's not belonging anywhere. It's not being known at all. It's, it's not being connected to life itself. It's, it's having no place. We are made for place. As created people, we are connected to places. One of the crazy things that's happened in Becky's in my life is that for some reason, places that are significant in our life keep getting, getting torn down. Uh, I went to Milton High School. Uh, it just got torn down last month. Didn't know if you were aware of that. Sorry, Milton alums. Becky went to Roswell, the, the original, the old school Roswell. That just that got torn down right after the other one got built. So our, our high school alma maters are no more. We can't take our grandkids by and say, this is when we were awesome. <laughs> we can't do that. That was taken from us very recently. Um, the, the, the church we got married in is now a bank. I don't mean like they turned the church into a bank. No, no, no. They took the church out and they built a bank. I think that's not okay. So it's really, when I try to take Becky there on our anniversary and say, this is the place where, can I help you, sir? No, this is, give me a minute. It's not, it's not a good thing. Uh, the, the, the hospital where both of our children were born, Shalliford Hospital, is no more. Uh, the, the street, the, not just the street, the entire neighborhood where we spent five years, our first, almost our first five years of marriage, our, our, raised our kids from like basically one to, to six. The whole neighborhood is gone in Omaha, the base housing. It, it is no more. It's as though, as we walk, things are just getting destroyed behind us. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why, why am I aware of this? Why, why, do we, why do we talk about it and joke about it and, and, and you know, tear up a little bit? And it's because place matters. Because there's something about, something about us, how we're made, how God has designed us, that, that roots us into the earth in a way that says, where the significant moments happen, where the, where the long stories are written, those places, they matter. They matter, they affect us, they, they tell us a little bit about who we are and they connect us ultimately to what God is doing on the earth. Place matters. So how do we know? We know because of creation and, and not only just the creation of the world, but how God has created us. We also know because of how God appears to his people in particular places. In the Bible, God marked places over and over and over again. One of the places he did that with was with, uh, if you remember, with Jacob um, at Bethel. Uh, it's that place where uh, Jacob was fleeing from his brother, and, and he had this dream about the fact that there was this, this ladder, and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending. And, and this is what he says after he wakes up. It says, then Jacob 
awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, listen, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then again, in in Genesis 35, Jacob's on his way back, and, and God calls him, and you know what he calls him to? He calls him to Bethel. He takes him back to this very same place, and he says, listen, I have something to tell you, so come here, build an altar, offer something to me, and then, and then I'm going to tell you something. You know what he tells Jacob there? He reaffirms the covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham and he made with Isaac, and he, and he says, the promise that I gave to them, it belongs to you now, so much so that I'm changing your name. You're no longer Jacob. You're now Israel. God manifests himself. He, he chose places for people to experience and engage with him particular places. God connects himself and through his presence, he connects people to particular places. That's another way in which we know that God cares about places. But maybe one of the most obvious ones that God cares about places and spaces is how unbelievably detailed his instructions are related to the construction of of the tabernacle and the temple. I don't know if you read through the Bible people, you probably are past that section now that we're in April But if you remember, you get to certain places like Exodus 25 and everything that follows there, and you have chapters and chapters of God giving detailed instructions about fabric and colors and design and layout, the kind of materials to use, how tall, how wide, how far, what they're supposed to hang from, everything. It's interior design. I mean, like, Joanna Gaines got nothing. Like, this is unbelievably detailed. Why? Why, why? I have a quote from Matthew uh, Henry. I'll just, I'll just tell you what he says. He says, isn't it crazy? He's an 18th century uh, commentator, so he talks just like this. Isn't it crazy that God spends way more time describing the specific details of the tabernacle than he does on the creation of the world? What does that say, he says, basically? What does it say then about God's purpose and intent for his people as to how he's supposed to be worshiped in place. God cares about places. The level of detail is a direct indication of just how important place and beauty and purpose really are, that God means us to worship him and he means us to worship him in place. So not only does God give tons of detail, but then he confirms place. It's another way in which we know God cares about place is that he confirms place with his presence the very presence of his glory. Exodus chapter 40, the end of Exodus, this is how the the book ends. In verse 34, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's right after they finished building it. In uh, 1 Kings 8, right after Solomon finished completing the temple of the Lord, hundreds of years later, it says, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister before because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. In in both of these cases and, and throughout the history of redemption, God reaffirms that places matter And he does so by filling them with his glory, by filling them with his presence, by by allowing his spirit to be pervasive in their midst. 
I, I think some of you will remember this. Um, I think it was back around 2013. It was the about the, after the first year we'd been in this building. Uh, the original principal, Callie, who was amazing, uh, not a believer, not a Christian, but uh, she pulled me aside after about a year or so of us having been here, and she says, "I just need to tell you something. There has been you guys. Some of this you will remember this. There, there has been a certain kind of peace over this place." That some of the conflicts and challenges we've had in the past just aren't here. I have new people coming in saying, I, I don't totally understand. Everything seems to go differently here. And Callie said, it's true. And, and all I can say is, I think it's because you guys are here. I, I think it's because you pray for our school. And I mean, I was, I was shocked. First of all, I certainly didn't expect that, that from her. But, but there, there was a sense of the manifest presence of the Lord lingering. Like, like he does, and as he chooses, by the way, whenever he chooses, it's the thing that I've heard actually from, from several of you as you as you started coming to be a part of our community. And uh, I think that like the, the Mike, uh, Mike and Denise, I don't know if you guys are here, so Mike and Denise Moss, like I remember you guys, you, you, if you're here, oh, there you go. Um, there you go. It's always good to talk to the people, you know. Um, like I remember when you guys first came, you'd been here about a month or so. And I remember Mike, you came up to me afterwards and you all were smiling, but you looked up at me and you said, you said, you know, it's, I can't quite figure out is, like I have a sense that the spirit of God is here. And, um, and it's marking. And I remember thinking, you're not the only one who says that. I mean, Jay, you brought that up several times in elder meetings, that, that there is something about the manifest presence of God as he chooses to manifest himself in the midst of his people in certain places. God cares about places, and one of the ways he shows us that is that he shows up in his essence, in his glory, in, and through his spirit. But the, the maybe the greatest and most clear way is, is when we look at the culmination of all things. There is going to be this new earth, this, um, this physical place, not some nirvana out there in the middle of nowhere. No, no, a physical, tangible, physical space, the very city of God. Revelation 21 says, then I saw, this is an amazing passage, then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down, a place coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you hear in, in, in all of these manifestations that the pervasiveness and the, and the permanence of place? You know this, right? Heaven's not a place over there, out there. It's a place that God is going to remake here. He cares about place and he cares about here. God wants a place for his people. And, and, if, and if we were Greeks and our, our goal was to escape into some spiritual realm, then it wouldn't matter. Matter wouldn't matter, but matter matters to God. Had to practice that a bunch of times. Matter matters. But the whole consummation of history is that there will be a place that he will construct a new city, a dwelling place where he will be with us forever, a real, tangible place, specific place where God is choosing to be with us forever. So, in a real sense, one of the things we're getting to do as we build something is we're getting to be like God because God builds stuff. He cares about places 
And then there are some congregations, as we have been, that, that, that get to bless the city and be a part of, of relational community and, and, and growth and, uh, by being nomadic. That's been us. We know the way there. We, we have some pitfalls to share with those who would like to do that. But, um, but God's inviting us into a, a new season now. He's calling us and he's inviting us to, to, belong, to belong here in a way that we haven't before to, in a sense, to move into the neighborhood, to join the HOA, to start paying our taxes to the city, to be a part of the Christmas party for the neighborhood. He's inviting us to be a part of what is going on in the city because place matters to God. God cares, loved ones, about places and spaces. And he has from the very beginning and he will forever. There is a place. I don't know if there's a, a greater affirmation of our, both our embodied nature and, and the value of how physical space matters than the resurrection of Christ. It's the very message of Easter. Because okay, this is what the empty tomb is actually saying to us. It's saying God cares about physical stuff. And all of creation in him is about to be renewed and remade and, and that, that our bodies remade will last forever and ever and ever. So that's a bunch of ways that we know that God cares about place and about space. So what, what are these particular places, these particular spaces for? What does God have them for? Well, Paul uses uh, a metaphor out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, verse 9. He says that you, he's talking to the Corinthians church, and he said, you are God's building. God is in the middle of a construction project, and it's been going on for a long time, but that's what he's doing, and that's particularly what he's doing with his people. And, and First Peter echoes this. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone, this is Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, this is amazing. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. For what purpose? To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul says it differently in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're, you're home. You're not homeless. You're home. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And you know what's all the way at the bottom that makes everything hold together? Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. And listen to verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is in the middle of a construction project with us, and he's been doing so everywhere we've been. He's building something, and he's building something with his people and his people. We are living stones being built together. And if you think about it, how remarkable is it? Just imagine ourselves in the new space, because that will help us a minute, that someone would come by, see our fancy sign by the road, and uh, they would come in and they would be expecting to, um, well, they'd be expecting dead stones, right? They'd be expecting uh, sheetrock and, and iron, uh, some plastic probably, some plexiglass maybe somewhere. Uh, and, and instead what they would find would be living stones. 
not in the building, but living stones being built up by the chief, the head architect, by the, the master builder, crafting these living stones into something. An edifice, a building, a real building to the glory of God and for the blessing of the world. And that is what buildings are for, to house living stones. Living stones. Buildings are supposed to house living stones so that when someone comes in and they have not seen living stones, they go like, this is a dead place, but my, there are living stones everywhere. Something is being built up in this, and I want to be built into it too. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. A place is supposed to point towards God. It's supposed to be, I mean, this is what the tabernacle and the temple do. They, they just point to Jesus. Read Hebrews chapter 8. They're just, they just say, like, there's just a better, there's a better temple. There's a better tabernacle, and, and, and it's him. Places are supposed to point to Christ. So it is true. We, we, uh, we have an opportunity to, to, to reveal God just like just like Jesus revealed the Father in the flesh, we have an opportunity as the church to reveal Christ to the world. And, and as the New Testament church, one of the things that's unique about us is that we do so in two different forms. We do so in a scattered form where we get to take the Spirit of God in us out into the world, and we've been talking a ton about that. And we also get to do it in gathered form, and we do so in gathered form in real places that God has prepared for his people. One of the things that um, Pastor... Uh, he's also a writer. His name is Duke Kwan. He says, um, but the Bible also affirms that we are incarnate beings. And he's pushing up, by the way, in this moment. He's pushing up against the, uh, the idea that church is not a place. It's only people. Uh, so he's pushing up against that. He says, the Bible also affirms that we're incarnate beings, okay? That we're not just spiritual. We're incarnate beings. Our faith in Christ and obedience to Christ is always embodied, we have never worshipped our Lord in anything but physical bodies and anywhere but a physical space. Thus, the architecture and aesthetic of our houses of worship, what we see, hear, feel, even smell, invariably shape our communion with Christ and one another week after week. As we saw just a minute ago, God always wanted to have places for his people to worship him. God provides very specific plans for the tabernacle, and he provides very specific plans for, for, the, for the temple, but, but those, those two things don't say the same things. They're not declaring the same things. The tabernacle is saying, as though, as though the building itself is saying, we, we're a nomadic people, and we are on our way with God. We're a nomadic people, and we're on our way with God, but the temple doesn't say that. It says, we are home. It says we, we have permanence in this land, this, this amazing land that God had been promising for centuries and is now fulfilled here. And the presence of the Lord is with us. A church building just facilitates the mission of the church. It, it's, it's where the, the living stones are, are pulled together. And it provides a physical space for, for worship of God and for building up of the people and the training the witness of the church is, is to be light, which is one of the reasons why, again, Quan says a little further, he says, at their best, therefore, church buildings serve not only their worshiping members, but also the common good. They, check this out. This is an amazing phrase. They are visible emblems of Jesus's neighborly proximity and public outposts of God's kingdom in the city's commons. 
Man. Church buildings, when filled with the merciful people of God, are sanctuaries for downtrodden neighbors seeking refuge from the storms of life. Loved ones, one of the things that has me so excited about the fact that we're going into a new space is that I get to go into this new space with you. That, that you are a merciful people. You want this, and some of you can literally give me an amen on this. Like you've had to land in us and it's been a soft landing. It's been a gracious landing. It's been a place where you could, you could heal, be renewed. Some of you were, were longing for a place that God could use you and God's beginning to give you opportunities in that like, that we're a merciful people. Which makes me really excited about a space wherein that mercy can be expanded and, and grown greater means of doing just that. Now, it's just a reality that some people haven't come to, to, to Roswell Community Church at Hembury Springs because we're at Hembury Springs, because what we declare with our space is, is not, this is a place where people worship God. That's not the, it's, this is a place where children get taught school. That's what this place tells you, right? And, and we've done what we can to make this place home, and, and, and God has worked mightily in our midst, right? Like he, he's met you. He's met you in this room before, hasn't he? In the midst of a song, a worship, in the midst of a sermon, in the midst of your own prayer, you came when you had nothing and God filled you up, right? It's happened to me. God meets his people in places. And so this has been a wonderful, powerful, significant place. But, but it's not obvious to everyone. Place matters. And as a church, we've associated our name with, with Roswell. So, so we want to we declare that we, we belong into this place, that we want to invest in this environment, that we want to be, as I said, at city, as close to city center as possible, where we have neighbors, where, where we're connected to the life and the commerce of, of, this, of this city. And for all of those who come in from that area and were scattered throughout, God wants to prepare a place and form matters. A form of a place should follow its function. What is a church supposed to do? This is important, and Steve helped me see this, that a a space is supposed to serve its people, not the other way around. A place is, we're not supposed to serve the place, it's supposed to serve the purposes of the people. And so what is, what is some of the things we're supposed to be doing? Well, one of the things we do is gather, and so we want to have a space that helps us gather well. One of the things that we do is we sing. We'd like to have a place where the building doesn't fight against us in that end. And if you're sitting back there or if you're sitting right here, it's not the same experience in this room. And you know because that's why you're back there. But it fights against us, and and we don't want a place that fights against us when we sing. The function of a church is to house the living stones. And, And it is true, we could meet in a field, as, uh, as, the, as Jim Burton suggested, we could meet in the Walmart parking lot, though I suspect there would probably be some code violation there, so maybe not for long at least. But, but, and so it's possible, yes, we could do those things. But, but there would be tangible things that we want to offer to the city, that we want to do communally, that we want to experience in our worship to God that would not be possible if that was the case. And we believe that that's worth the energy, that's worth the fight, that's worth making a space possible. The medium speaks the message. And as I said, buildings speak. They, they, they say something. And they, and they say something symbolic. It's, um, and if you know this, symbols are, are powerful. They, they talk when they can be louder than, than our, our very words. As I said, this is a space that talks about education, not primarily about the worship 
of God. And, and we want a space that can, that can declare that though there are many others, that there, that there is 17,700 square feet in, in the city of Roswell where the worship of the high God is being lived out, where, where the word of God is preached, where, where people are giving themselves away, that there's, that there's an enclave, that there's a space, that there's a, there's a beacon of light, there's a, there's a light on a hill that is manifesting itself for the glory of God in Roswell. That's what we want to be declaring we want our gathering space to be a symbol of a welcoming community where I don't care where you are in your relationship with God, that, that you can be brought in and have a sense of belonging and, and through love be drawn into a community. We want our, our, our kids' space to be a symbol of both safety and, and flourishing where, where the function of it is leading little hearts to know and love Jesus. That's, that's what we want to see. We like. I want our warehouse to be a symbol of the fact that, yes, that we have, we're going to have a warehouse. We have a warehouse. That our warehouse would be a symbol of the fact that we want to have resources and we have some space to store, store things that allow us to have multiple kinds of functions taking place in that, in that environment that we're not locked into only being able to do church and nothing else. We want our sanctuary to be a symbol of worship, functioning as an opportunity for praise and reflection and renewal, where, where the Spirit of God can meet you in tangible, specific ways, undistracted, or at least as minimally distracted as, as possible. And we want to be in the presence in the, in the middle of a light industrial business park to be a symbol of good news, to be through our very presence a declaration that, as, as Juan said, that that there's a proximity to Jesus around you and it's right here and, and it's available. That living stones are waiting for you to engage you. God cares about places and spaces. And he's inviting his church, this church of living stones, to create a place that is, um, that is both sacred and, and welcoming and in form and in function, and that in function, and that will glorify Him in a way that that we haven't been able to see yet, but that we can only imagine, and that the flourishing of the work of God in our midst, which is only increasing by the day, by the week, by the year, will bring glory to God. The very reason we exist will become more and more true in us. That's that's the longing and the desire. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, is that when, um, when the Old Testament people, especially having read all the passages about the, the tabernacle preparation and then all the passages about, uh, about the, uh, the temple preparation, people got to bring, you know, they brought gold, right? They brought silver, they brought precious stones. They, um, and and those, those, um, those very tools got translated, they got melted down and they got turned into Act practical, tangible. They were the they were the cover of the of the Ark of the Covenant. They were the the poles, or they were the they were the curtains that covered the Holy of Holies. They they were the table of of, of showbread. They were they were the altar where all the sacrifices were offered. They they literally brought gold, they brought iron, they brought bronze, they brought silver, and it got melted down and it got turned into it got turned into something that would. This is what's amazing. It got turned into something that would guarantee that their prayers would be heard by God. It would guarantee that when they came before him, that he would hear them, that he would receive them, that, that they didn't need to fear him, but that because of what he has done, because of the fact that there is a day of atonement where, where, the, where the lamb is sacrificed for everybody, that their sins, their guilt offerings are received, their sin offerings are received, and it is well with their soul. 
that they could walk away and say, the Lord has made a way for us to know that we are well with him. And so we walk in that way. Well, none of you are bringing gold and silver, and, but, but I, I don't want us to miss this, that there is a way in which as dollars and checks and stock options and all that stuff are, 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 are given to a project like this, Make no mistake of it, it is translated and it will be translated into architectural designs and, and, and into builders and painters and electricians. It will be channeled into that avenue, but it will come out by the grace of God because all that gold and silver, it wasn't holy. It wasn't sacred. He made it so, right? It was, it was, just, it was just objects, but, but because of the grace of God, because he's the one who acted upon it, as he acted upon it, redemption manifested itself for an entire people, and peace could cover them. All could be well. They knew that their heart and their life was well with the Lord, and that's what we get to do. We get to create, not because we need to earn it. The cross tells us the other story, but instead we get to create the space where we get to be reminded of the fact that this has already been accomplished for you. I said this before, but you know what the most important thing that we do every Sunday? It's this. And the reason is, it's not because the worship isn't significant. We must worship, loved ones. Like, you must hear the word of the Lord. It'll cut you. It's what, it's what the word does. It'll slice right through you. It has. Some people have already told me lately. Like, it will. But this right here is the declaration. It puts everybody equally. It doesn't matter how much gold you have. It doesn't matter how impressive you are. It doesn't matter how righteous you think, how good or bad you've been this week. This is the great leveler. It's the thing that says, God, because of what he chose to do, will now receive you. And he receives you in Christ. So, so there's no guilt. There is no shame. There's only being received by Jesus Christ. And that is the best of all news. Clement of Alexandra, Alexandria said that the goal of life is coming to be at home with God. The goal of life is to be to coming to be at home with God. And in that, he says, it's really, it's being, knowing yourself and knowing God and, and actually having a knowledge of, of others that is, that is true and, and making no gap between those things. And that coming home is, coming home is what life ultimately is about. And uh, the beautiful thing is, in Christ, you're home. That, um, that we don't have to build a home to be at home. That that we have been brought in, that we have been received. The blood of Christ, the body of Christ has made a home for us. The places matter, they really do. Where we gather does matter and it matters to God clearly. But who we gather around is ultimately the only thing that will differentiate any place from another. The one who has, because of his work, made a home, an eternal, true home for you and for me. The very thing that we get to call each other into and remind each other in every single Sunday and hopefully every day in between. That is the great work of the church, that Christ Jesus is died and that Christ Jesus is risen and Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we love you. You have chosen to make a way for us. And um, the way you made a home for us has taken on many different facets throughout the history of redemption. 
the place you've called us into has been always towards yourself. And so I thank you that you have met us in every place along the way, that you've met us in this room, that you've met us in the cottage school, that you've met a bunch of people, including myself, in, this, in, in, in several other churches and several other contexts, that you meet your people and declare that place matters because that's some of the place you do your particular kind of work as we gather. And so, Lord, we want to we ask that you would do good and great and significant things in us in the, in the months and, and years to come as you've prepared a place for us. And, Lord, we don't ask just for then. We ask for now. Would you do mighty and powerful and significant work in us now? We need you. Only you can. You make holy. We don't make holy. You make us holy in Christ. And so we come to the only one who can, the only one who can refresh, renew, and make us new, Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray this in his name. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, this is like a homecoming meal. So come, receive the body and blood of Christ for you.